Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we've got a review that's a little strange. I'm Jeff Braun. I'll tell you about a new Netflix movie about an incredible World War II story called Operation Mincemeat. And the kings of Canadian comedy are back, this time in the first Canadian original Amazon series, The Kids in the Hall. Someone once told me that the reality I thought I knew was just one of many. Benedict Cumberbatch returns as the master of the mystic arts after appearing in Spider-Man No Way Home at Christmas. And in that movie, he cracked open the multiverse with his magic and bad things happened. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. To fight back, he enlists the help of Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, played once again by Elizabeth Olsen. Wanda. What do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. And it looks like they have a heck of a time dealing with things. We see multiple versions of Doctor Strange from various universes, multiple Scarlet Witches, zombies, monsters. But what's most exciting is the new characters we're set to see, such as the return of Patrick Stewart as Professor X from The X-Men. We should tell him the truth. That's not a spoiler, by the way. It is in the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Anything that's in the marketing, as far as I'm concerned, is in play for discussion. But no further spoilers. Well, I shouldn't say further. That wasn't a spoiler. Big opening weekend for this movie. 187.4 million domestically. 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which summarizes it with this... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness labors under the weight of the sprawling MCU, but Sam Raimi's distinctive direction casts an, inter- an entertaining spell. Jeff, Braun, what would you think? Uh, I really liked it. I mean, talking about it in specific ways is kind of difficult because there is a huge reveal that comes early in the moving f- movie, uh, 15 to 20 minutes in. That's really the catalyst for the plot, but it's such a good surprise we don't want to spoil that, even though it does come early. I, I guess plot-wise, it is enough to say, you know, Doctor Strange comes across someone who's traveling through the multiverse on a mission, and he has to protect them from an evil force that would exploit their power to the potential ruination of all life across the multiverse. So the stakes are high, but again, because it is the multiverse, the stakes are really low in some other ways. Because, you know, if, if someone dies in a one universe, it doesn't much matter in the grand scheme of things. There are endless clones of everyone, and the movie has a lot of fun with that. Like we mentioned, you know, there are a lot of familiar faces coming back to the series besides uh, just Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen. Benedict Wong, Wong is back as the Sorcerer Supreme Wong. Rachel McAdams is back as the lost love of Doctor Strange's life. Chiwetel Ejiofor comes back as Mordo. He's another uh, master of the mystic arts. And then, of course, you know, some cameos, as you would expect in a Marvel movie at this point. You also expect that in a Sam Raimi movie, Sam Raimi movie and it doesn't disappoint. Uh, visually, it's crazy. Also, as you would expect from a Doctor Strange movie. And, you know, it's a little more gnarly on the gross or scary front. Again, like you would expect from director Sam Raimi. There were rumors a couple of years ago that this new Doctor Strange movie would actually 
be a full-on horror movie. And it's it's not, but you can see how it very easily could have been. And there are a couple of pretty intense moments, more so than you find in other Marvel movies. I've seen a lot of posts of people suggesting that it might be a little too much for the littlest Avengers out there to go see at, on the big screen. There is a lot of uh, some huge fan service moments in this movie, and the movie really does have fun giving and then taking away. If you've already seen it, you know what I'm talking about, but I enjoy that immensely. Overall, you know, I think it's a solid movie. I don't think it's the best Marvel movie of all time or anything even close to that. There's a lot of exposition, which has been a knock against it, but I actually found that stuff delivered well, and the movie doesn't go on and on without, you know, some interesting action happening every few minutes. So the exposition is also important because there are some really trippy concepts at play here, and I thought Sam Raimi did a good job keeping things clear enough because my greatest fear ever since they introduced the multiverse is that I would, I'm too dumb and that I'd be too confused to enjoy these movies, but that has not been the case. If there was a disappointment for me, it was maybe that the advertising sort of makes it look like the movie is all about bouncing through the multiverse, and it's really not. I mean, it does happen, but it does not add up to a whole lot of screen time. And honestly, the the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once did a lot more interesting things with its portrayal of the multiverse, because, I mean, they had a whole universe where people had hot dogs for fingers, and that's just always going to win. Uh, they had to play piano with their feet, for goodness sakes. That's crazy. But I say the MCU is uh, definitely on a roll now with the latest Sp Spider-Man movie, and now this, and the uh, Thor movie is coming down the pike in a couple of months, so Phase 4 is cranking up a bit. Doesn't really seem to be going anywhere specific yet, but of course, Endgame is a tough act to follow. I will give Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness four coach cushions out of five, Brett. Okay, and my experience, well, first, it kind of makes me chuckle when I think about this because I remember a few weeks into the pandemic when we were all at home and couldn't go anywhere or see anyone. People were sharing videos online of audience reactions to Avengers Endgame from some big screening, and the audience was just going bananas. And I'd watch those videos, and I sometimes I'd even cry watching them because I just missed enjoying things with kindred spirits. I missed it so much, and it was nice to see that kind of jubilation in a movie theater for these movies that we love so much. Now here we are two years later. Things are all open again, so what do I do? I go see Doctor Strange by myself on a Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock in a theater that had two other people in it. Two. Wow. And I... That's it. And I still had to tell them to shut up because they talked for the first 10 minutes quietly. They were speaking quietly, but it was just loud enough that I could hear it. So I had to say, hey, guys, I can still hear you. Um, so they said, sorry. And uh, then they left with 20 minutes to go in the movie. So it was just me at the end. And then the two staff waiting to clean the theater had to wait for 10 minutes for me to sit through the credits for an end credit scene that was fun. But you won't miss anything if you don't stay. The mid-credit scenes are always the important ones, and the end-credit you know, scenes are usually little nothing stingers. You know what I do, uh, aside from playing on my phone, but I also think, hey, you know what? Why don't I go to the bathroom, take care of business, then come back and watch the end stinger? That's a good point, and I, I have done that. I have done that. I just, uh, I always feel weird walking back in. And in, in yesterday's case, had I walked out of the theater and then come back in, the two staffers would have looked at me like, <laughs> What uh, what's going on here, nerd? You're super early for the next show, guys. What the heck? I, I, mine wasn't too bad. I went well. I went the day it opened, so my theater was packed, and I went by myself as well. And I had the aisle seat that I like, and then beside me was some other dude that was there by himself. And we uh, 
like we like looked at each other and chuckled at, during the jokes a couple of times or whatever. So I, I like made friends with strangers at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Right on, right on. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I thought it was super fun, but I, I somewhat agree with the Rotten Tomatoes summary that it just kind of, you know, buckled under its own weight a little bit. But uh, Cumberbatch, tremendous as always. Elizabeth Olsen was fantastic. This was her best performance yet i think as the scarlet witch like she was tremendous in wandavision but i really liked what she did in this movie and uh, i was really enjoying it for the first hour and probably hour and a bit but then i i feel like it just got to a point and i don't know when or where exactly but it just started to feel like too much because this the plot is just relentless and these criticisms that it kind of buckles under its own weight, I would sort of agree with. I'm not saying it's bad. Like, I still loved it. It just kind of felt like a bit of a mess as it was approaching the end. But it had super fun direction from Sam Raimi. Like, some of his signature stylings were on full display. It was a genuinely creepy film at times. And, uh, you know, it had a lot of his fast, in-your-face camera tricks and uh, shockingly violent at times, as you pointed out, Mr. Braun. But it was great to see some of the supporting characters that we got to see. It had some genuine surprises, which is nice, because Marvel does a pretty good job at holding a lot of things close to the chest in spite of what we think we're seeing in the trailers. And thankfully, I was able to avoid any major spoilers. And trust me, there were major spoilers, like, on the Friday. So last Friday, I go on YouTube and... My, I didn't even go looking for it. It was just right there on my home page, and I saw something like, well, I, I don't even want to talk about what it was, but it was so spoilery. I just, I like shut my TV off and like, no, 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 don't show me this. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and like you said, just fabulous visuals, stunning. I saw it in 3D. And I'm glad I did. I haven't seen a movie in 3D maybe since Avengers Endgame in 2019. Sometimes things are just too dark in 3D, but this was just exploding with color. So if you like 3D, I would recommend that. Uh, four couch cushions out of five is what I'll give Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, hey, speaking of uh, 3D, did you see the new trailer for the uh, the Avatar sequel? The Way of Water? Yeah, I did see it. Didn't it look uh, the same as Avatar 1? I didn't even really understand what I was watching. I was like, how is this different? This looks the same. It looks exactly the same. So I am curious to see how that's going to do because that first movie was such a smash hit because of its 3D. It was, and it just, like, it was yeah. some, like something we've never seen before. We just wanted more of it. But now we've seen so much of it in every other movie. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, but it still looks cool. I'll give it that much. And People keep reminding me, it's like people are, you know, we're snarking on this trailer or whatever, but they're like, go ahead, bet against James Cameron. Every single time, every single outing, he'll just prove you wrong. Like, when's the last time he made a movie that wasn't the biggest deal of the year, if not all time, when it came out? Like, his last two movies were the biggest movie of all time. Before that was True Lies, which was the number one movie that year. Before that was Terminator 2. So, I mean, the guy doesn't miss. So, betting against Avatar 2 as much as we want to is just going to come back to bite us in the face. Some solid wisdom there. Don't bet against James Cameron. In a moment, we are going to tee up the return of the kids in the hall. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and a Canadian classic returns this weekend with a new season of The Kids in the Hall.
Well, the curse is lifted and the kids are back. Guys, I knew we should have cryogenically frozen our bodies. Well, who's financing this time? The devil again? Well, sort of. Amazon. Are you crazy? All hands on deck. You know what Amazon wants from Kids in the Hall? Y yes, Don, a, a funny show, but one that is free of targets. <gasps> Topical topics. It's all a government conspiracy. Alarming edginess or unsettling settings. What's the big idea for hit characters? Back off, pigs, or the tower gets cracked. Ow. You will be eradicated. <laughs> The initial run from the sketch comedy icons aired from 1989 to 1995, and that was followed by a movie called Brain Candy in 1996 and a reunion 12 years ago. And now eight new episodes are out on Amazon Prime Video this weekend, reuniting the whole gang once again. Dave Foley, Bruce McCullough, Kevin McDonald, Mark McKinney, and Scott Thompson. A lot of people are pumped for this one, the, the squishing your head guy we heard in the trailer. That's been a thing for decades because of these guys. Uh, Kids in the Hall was easily quoted more often in my high school than pretty much anything on Saturday Night Live, I would say. Like I said, you know, they are sketch comedy icons in Canada, and I can't wait to see what they have in store, Brett. So excited for this. Uh, yeah, the crushing your head guy, and I always... Uh, you talk about the, the quotables. You've got the... Uh, my pen, my pen. My pen, I was going to say that. Um, there's also, there was one where, I think it was Kevin McDonald, where he was like, he was, I don't know if he was high or, or, or not doing well, but he was like, you can't fix the car without a whole lot of milk, because he was trying to get the milk for his cornflakes. And then there was the, my favorite sketch, I think, all time is Girl Drink Drunk. And... Um, uh, Gavin, it was cool, happy to see, I think he was in there, we heard him in there, or the guy who says the word uh, ascertain too often, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before he, before he tra turns it over to delineate, so yeah, just some great, great stuff in Kids in the Hall, and uh, I am really, really excited to see this, the, the, the Red Band trailer had me in absolute hysterics, what do you think of the fact that it's going to be like rated R kind of stuff? Why not? I mean, go for it. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean, was it was really edgy back in the day, you know, for the time on like regular kind of TV. So it makes sense. I, I got no problem with that. It's yeah. not like like little like today, like junior high kids today have no idea who these guys are. So it's uh, the audience is adult. So why not let the comedy be adult? For, fair enough. Also, this weekend, new in theaters. It started as a book in 1980 and then was adapted into a film starring a young Drew Barrymore in 1984. Charlie McGee is a healthy eight-year-old girl, normal in every way. Charlie, now watch what you're doing. But one. It's the latest of Stephen King's books to get a new adaptation, Firestarter. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. If you ever start to lose control, what do you do? It didn't work. She's not a robot, Annie. She's a little girl. With little girl emotions, which are wildly unpredictable. Charlie? She just has to shove it down and keep it hidden. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're going to put her in a cage. Charlie? They're going to run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? 
So this new one stars Ryan Kira Armstrong as our young fire starter. She was super creepy, by the way, in the last season of American Horror Story. She is a tremendous young talent, and she looks like she puts in an awesome performance in this new movie. So I'm excited to see what she does here. Zac Efron is her dad. Basic story: If you're not familiar with Firestarter, she has the power of fire, and bad people are hunting her. People who say that she's the first superhero. So she and her family go on the run. Eventually, there's a showdown where she unleashes her full fury. I got excited when I watched the trailer, and I was surprised by that because I thought, "Oh boy, here come here another adaptation that'll be half baked." But uh, I think it looks cool. But as of this recording on Thursday afternoon. There are only two reviews posted to Rotten Tomatoes: one fresh, one rotten. And when movies are not screened ahead of time for mass reviews, that's not a good thing. Also interesting, Universal is releasing this in theaters and in the U.S. on their streaming service, Peacock. So maybe it'll be available on demand sooner than later here in Canada. In a moment, we are going back to World War II for a show Jeff's excited about on Netflix. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. And I found something on Netflix this week. And if you like World War II movies about spies based on true stories, then this is something for you. In five weeks, 100,000 British forces will strike Sicily's southern shore. Unfortunately, the Nazis know of our intentions. So we're going to play a humiliating trick on Hitler. <laughs> We have to convince Germany that our target is Greece. The plan begins in Spain, where a corpse will wash up on shore bearing classified letters. A corpse carrying fake documents. Given the fascist network there, we could quite literally float the documents right into enemy hands. Prime Minister, that's too big a risk. The fate of the world is at stake. The plan is highly implausible. So when can it be ready? What say we start with the easy part and find ourselves a corpse? Operation Mincemeat was released on Netflix this week, a British movie about Operation Mincemeat, which was a real operation in World War II that was super weird to the point it's kind of surprising it's taken this long for there to be a movie about it. It stars Colin Firth, Matthew McFadden, he plays Tom on Succession, Kelly McDonald from Train Spotting and No Country for Old Men, Penelope Wilton, she's Isabel on Downton Abbey, and Mark Gaddis, the guy who plays Mycroft Holmes on the BBC show Sherlock. Firth, McFadden, McDonald, and Wilton all work for something called the 20 Committee. It's a division of British intelligence that in this case is tasked with coming up with a way to fool the Nazis about where they'll be launching their next major attack. They'll be invading Sicily, but would rather Hitler not have thousands of troops amassed on the beach there waiting to greet them. So the committee tries to come up with a plan that'll make Hitler think they're going to invade Greece. The thought being the Germans will send all the troops in Sicily to Greece, and then the Allies can take Sicily. Now, the plan they come up with is pretty wild, which we heard in the clip there, the broad strokes, that they'll drop this dead body in a uniform off the coast of an area that they know has some German spies, and the corpse will have some fake official papers saying they're planning to attack Greece. There are a lot of details to the plan, and pulling it off will take a lot of work and a lot of luck. The Germans, of course, are on the lookout for deceptions of all sorts, so the details really matter. The first half of the movie is sort of planning out the operation. The second half is kind of the execution of the plan. Firth and McFadden are the leaders of this group. It was their plan, based on a memo that 
that lists a number of, uh, you know, loose guides to operations designed to throw off the enemy. That memo was written by a man named Ian Fleming, who joins their task force and, of course, would later become the author of the James Bond novels. So Fleming is literally a character in this movie. He's a minor character, but we get a few Bond Easter eggs like the origins of the codename M used by Bond's boss, for example, in all the movies. Mostly we see Fleming as super eager to see one of his crazy ideas turned into a real-life operation. He's also writing a spy novel during the operation, one of many officers in British intelligence who appear to be writing spy novels, which is used as a recurring gag. It's pretty funny. There's uh, quite a bit of humor in the movie, actually. The plot, you know, is so outlandish, you might as well have some fun with it. And there's quite a bit of drama, too, of course, because the stakes are so high and it's based on real events during World War II. The movie is set in London, and wartime London is very interesting to see. For example, at night, there are no streetlights. Everyone's walking around with flashlights in order to keep the Germans from spotting civilians too easily and dropping bombs on them. Um, besides the nuts and bolts of the operation, there's sort of a love triangle as both Firth and McFadden pine over Kelly McDonald. Firth also has a brother, that guy from Sherlock, who may be up to something bad, and that guy uh, is almost always up to something bad whenever I see him in a show or movie. He's just really excellent at playing a weasel. And all these plots are nicely blended, and they matter to the main plot in their own ways. It all really works. It just uh, comes together in a, a very satisfying way. The script is from a, a lady named Michelle Ashford. She wrote on the miniseries The Pacific, which was the sequel series to Band of Brothers, so she's got experience writing about World War II. And the director is, uh, of the movie is a guy named John Madden. No, not that John Madden. The British John Madden, the uh, director John Madden, who made one of my favorite movies of all time, Shakespeare in Love. So smart people who know how to make movies are behind this thing, and it's mostly successful, I thought. I thought maybe it was a little bit more interesting for its plot than it was, you know, about caring for its characters. But by the end, I was more invested than I expected I would be. There's not a lot of action per se. It's more, you know, talky. It's a war movie that only really shows about 20 seconds of actual gunfire between soldiers. But Madden think, keeps things cooking. He likes to keep the camera moving and trying to come up with interesting shots. So it is, you know something to watch that's it's not just like you're sitting watching a staged play or anything like that it's there's some uh, motion to this movie and of course all the actors are great Firth is always reliable and I will admit when I started I was a little nervous about McFadden because he's so good as Tom on Succession that I was like I don't think I'll be able to take him seriously as anyone else but he quickly proved me wrong so that was a nice surprise overall just a, a solid World War II drama absolutely worth a watch three and a half couch cushions out of five for operation mincemeat out on netflix now okay. and how long is the movie the movie is just over two hours okay two, like 204 or something like that oh not bad not bad okay i might have to check that out uh what i did check out this week is something i previewed uh two or three weeks ago, a new documentary series on Apple TV+. Plus. I've, you know, I've been talking about basketball throughout the year, and I'm going to continue doing that now with They Call Me Magic. And in walks Magic Johnson approaching the podium. Let's go to Magic. First of all, let me say good, good after late afternoon. Um, because of... Uh, HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers. So they called me Magic debuted on April 22nd 
believe it was, on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a four-part documentary series, and the timing on it was interesting because it was as Winning Time was approaching its season finale on HBO and on in Canada on Crave. Winning Time, by the way, season finale was great. Looking forward to season two. Provided it doesn't get buried in lawsuits because there are a lot of people who hate the way they were portrayed in the show and Jerry West in particular is threatening legal action. A lot of people are saying it's just outright character assassination, but I thought it was entertaining and they just made him, you know, really obscene. He just swore a lot and he was always angry, but he never got really angry at anybody. But I, winning time, super entertaining uh, adaptation of the rise of the Lakers dynasty, whereas they call me magic is about magic Johnson's dynasty. It takes us back to his high school days in Lansing, Michigan, and then into his college days at Michigan state where he led the Spartans to the NCAA title when they beat Larry bird and Indiana state. And then of course, into his NBA career. And um, it's not as comprehensive as the last dance like that was 10 episodes, I think, but it was still pretty good. Like if you liked the last dance, then I would highly recommend they call me magic because you get the same candid interviews from all kinds of people. And you look at, you get to see magic's successes, his triumphs, but as well as his failures, you know, they point to uh, one year in the finals when they were, when he just couldn't, he just kept screwing up he, for whatever reason. He wasn't doing what he always did, and he had no idea why. So to then imagine what the whole following year was like to, to know that his team lost because of him. And then, of course, we learn, we revisit that fateful day in November of 1991 about his HIV and how he had to retire from basketball and all the trials and tribulations that came after that because he did come back for the All-Star Game and then he got to participate in the Dream Team in the 1992 Olympics. I had forgotten that he actually came back to the NBA twice after he retired. He came back the following season and... um, it was clear that no, a lot of people didn't want him there. They were scared that they would contract the virus from him, like say if they bumped into each other and they each they say, cut each other. Uh, so he just, he retired again. And then he came back in 1996 for like three dozen games and said, I can't do this anymore. So he retired again. And it was also, I think, important to to watch this because all this time, like I knew that he got HIV because he, you know, he, and he was eventually pretty open about this because he, he slept around a lot. I think the terminology he used at one point was, I tried to accommodate as many women as I could. And uh, he, quite frankly, he, he says that one time there were six women at a time. He was, uh, he got around, but I thought he was married. But he didn't get married until like two months before the HIV announcement. So. Because he, he and his now wife, Cookie, they had quite a complicated and long-distance relationship. So all these years, I thought he was this cheater, um, and now I can't say that. I mean, I don't necessarily condone the way that he went back and forth with Cookie, but that's for them. If she's okay with it, who am I to judge? So I'm glad that I got to see that. And I, did, I knew he was a successful businessman, but I had no idea how much he's done for 
the black community and for revital, revitalizing so many neighborhoods across the country. Uh, he, he just, he's like, I want to get into business. And now he, he's the head of like a half a billion dollar empire. So they're, they're, everything this guy touches really turns to magic. And it was pretty cool to see that because Magic Johnson was always my favorite basketball player. And another cool thing is that you really see how human he is because even though he was a champion, he was a leader, he's one of the greatest players of all time, one of the greatest athletes ever. But in his personal life, he was kind of a man-child who was scared of commitment and he kept running away from his girlfriend and he just wanted to party and have fun and he didn't want to grow up. Uh, but it was his HIV uh, diagnosis that sort of forced him to grow up. And now he's done so many great things. So it's good. It's not great, but I'm enjoying the basketball stuff. And hopefully there will be more soon uh, to enjoy. I guess I could watch like actual basketball. You know, the NBA playoffs are on right now, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't tell you five teams who are, <laughs> who are in the playoffs right now. I'm stuck in the past, Jeff Braun. And being- oh, yeah. I, I got uh, Milwaukee. That's it. I can't even remember who they're playing against. <laughs> Miami? I want to say Miami. Not. I don't think Milwaukee versus Miami, but I think Miami's also in the problem. <laughs> problem. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of the past, Jeff Braun oh, recently stumbled upon something on Disney Plus that I bet you a lot of people are pretty pumped about. Details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And if you're looking for a cop show to binge watch, Disney Plus quietly added a stone-cold classic to its lineup recently, NYPD Blue. A little girl was taken from Washington Square Park this morning. We know you were involved. I don't know what you're talking about. Now you are going to tell me what happened to that little girl. I want a lawyer. You can't do this. No, this is just us, Ken. There ain't going to be no lawyer, no court, no wrongful conviction, because you're going to take care of this right here. NYPD Blue ran on ABC for 12 seasons from 1993 to 2005, logging 261 episodes. And long story short, it's the best cop show of all time, certainly as far as anything resembling a network procedural goes. It struck a chord with audiences from the get-go. It was decidedly edgier than anything else on network TV at the time. NYPD Blue weirdly became known for its occasional nudity, quite a few butts on that show, including Sipowitz's, which I could tell you no one was expecting, uh, but it was a well-made, gritty cop show set in New York, and Detective Andy Sipowitz, who we heard in the clip there, was the star, played so memorably by Dennis Franz, who won a truckload of Emmys over the years for the role, and then he retired from acting after NYPD Blue went off the air, saying there was simply no way he'd be able to get an acting job as a better character than Sipowitz. And Sipowitz was a volatile, unctuous man, more likely to beat a confession out of a bad guy than by any other method. He had a lot of prejudices, and the great thing about a 12-season show is that we really got to see him evolve over time. He did change. He learned the error of his Archie Bunker ways. Just incredible stuff and very entertaining as well. And, you know, cops have partners, of course. Sipowitz had a revolving door of partners, starting with David Caruso, who bolted after the first season for fame and glory in movies, which backfired on him. But, of course, he did find that second life on TV years later with CSI Miami. Sipowitz's best partner, though, was Bobby Simone, played by Jimmy Smith. He was excellent. They made a great pair, and it was devastating when he left the show and how they, you know, 
eased him off the show was just heartbreaking. Little Ricky Schroeder came in next. He was great on the show, even if he's not great in real life. And then came Mark Paul Gosseler, who proved he was a better actor than Saved by the Bell would have you think. Again, good material will elevate actors that you would not expect to see great performances from. And Mark Paul Gosseler was probably, I think, my second favorite of Sipowitz's partners after Jimmy Smith's. NYPD Blue had a lot of great material, of course. I mean, it could get a little repetitive, sure, but I just found it so compelling, and by and large, I just don't think the quality went down very much over the years, even though you know 12 years was probably one or two years too many. I've been you know, wanting to rewatch it for some time. I've lamented the fact it wasn't on any of my streamers for the last several years, so... Disney Plus apparently heard my prayers and they put it up in the last couple of weeks. I didn't even know they were doing it. I had just happened to see someone tweeting about it. And I was like, what, really? That's there? And I went and checked and sure enough. So not sure when I'm going to get around to it because there's a ton of great shows on right now that we've been keeping up with. But sooner or later, I will be looking for something. And I can't, can't wait to, you know, sink my teeth back into NYPD Blue, Brett. What's the deal with Ricky Schroeder? Is he, was he uh, part of the Freedom Convoy in the States or something? There's stuff like that. There's all sorts of stuff that uh, he just seems to prove that he's not a very nice guy. Oh, he re- that's right. He was <laughs> ranting at somebody last year uh, for their mask policy, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that reminds me, actually, Ricky Schroeder was in at least one season of 24, which is also available on Disney+. And I keep meaning to... Um, Keep meaning to check that out because I've got most of the DVDs, but I was uh, going to say I thought you had the box set or something. No, I didn't get the box set. I don't. I don't remember if I got the. Uh, I think I. I don't think I have season eight, and I don't have Live Another Day, which was their limited series. But um, it's probably. I don't know if it's been transferred to 4K, but it'll certainly be in full HD, which will be better than the DVDs, which will. I, th- I feel. I might feel like I'm cheating on my DVDs. My 24 DVDs were like, of, of all the DVDs that I had for a while, my 24 DVDs were like sacrosanct. They were, they were the ones that, oh. they were the first thing that I ever really binged. I'd never binged anything until I got those DVDs and I just could not stop watching and I got, I lost so much sleep <laughs> when I first started watching season one of 20, because I never had that opportunity to just, Okay, oh, I'm yeah. just going to watch. I never bought a TV show on DVD. so. Uh, but yeah, that, that's on Disney+. Plus. And again, NYPD Blue, I confess, as we have 10 seconds left to go, I have never watched NYPD Blue. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>